Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, January 15th, 2015. It's like the prophets have come out of the woodwork. The problem is, is that none of them are agreed. We got more prophecy to cover. We're going to do a little fact checking to see how uh, Pat Robertson did details here in a second. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, and sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. Now, some things, I mean, they're patently ridiculous and absurd. We cover that here at Fighting for the Faith. That does not get a pass here, and if you've listened to this program for any length of time, you know that... uh, we we tend to traffic in the absurd. By the way, if uh, we've uh, fired up the uh, the Museum of Idolatry again and uh, have a little bit of help, I, I've got a co curator helping me with uh, you know finding uh, exhibits and putting them in the Museum of Idolatry. And our co curator, um, <laughs> right out of the shoot, holy guacamole, um, found a. Um, a uh, video of, uh, I think it's uh, of the Hillsong Conference in uh, 2010 in London. And, uh, but <laughs> if you haven't seen Mr. Sparkle, yeah, I, we're, there's, there was much debate on my Facebook wall about who that Mr. Sparkle is supposed to represent. You know, is he, you know, Satan appearing as an angel of light? Um, you know, is he supposed to represent you know, the transfigured Christ. But, I mean, it's so... Di- <laughs> it's one of those things where you just watch the video and you, your your jaw is on the ground and you're thinking, what on earth does this have to do with Christianity? Because uh, what Brian Houston does is he asks, I think, the uh, the, the pastor, the you know, the site pastor for uh, Hillsong London, you know, are you ready for the word? Okay, the word. Well, I, I guess that means the word of God, right? And they're interrupted, you know, you know um, well, theatrically interrupted by these rappers in, um, well, uh, British military, you know, old school with a big black hat kind of thing. Anyway, uh, and the marching band, and they get up and they do this uh, rendition of Move It, Move It. And uh, and then at the five minute like twenty seven second mark in this video, I mean, out comes Mr. Sparkle, the uh, human disco ball, and, <laughs> and it's it's just so ridiculous. So, 
those things. You just go, what were these people thinking? And supposedly this whole Move It, Move It um, rendition cover song was themed off of uh, Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free without any, uh, you know, care for the context or anything like that. So if you haven't seen Mr. Sparkle, um, be warned, you can't unsee Mr. Sparkle, the human disco ball from <laughs> Anyway, I digress. I digress. So, you know, we're hoping to be able to, you know, make the Museum of Idolatry kind of a more regular thing, and uh, we'll see if we uh, we pull that off. But anyway, so, okay, back to what I was saying. Here at Fighting for the Faith, we do not, um, you know, not cover the absurd and sometimes and sometimes the right apologetic response and apologetics means to you know to defend the christian faith and so you know this uh, sometimes the right defense of the christian faith is to well snicker at and laugh at the patently absurd and basically say listen that's listen that's not god that's what you're doing there is just ridiculous you're making a fool of yourself repent you know that that's the right way of doing it and then there's stuff that, yeah, it takes a little bit more work. You have to know a little bit of your Bible. Now, here at uh, Fighting for the Faith, over and again, we point out that there are a lot of people out there trafficking in false prophecy. Over and again, uh, you know, what, what is it that Jesus warned us about? You know, in the last day that there will be a proliferation of true teachers? No, he warned us that in the last days there would be a proliferation of False teachers, false anointed ones. That's, a, I think, a good way to paraphrase false Christ. False anointed ones, you know, claiming anointings for themselves, and uh, false prophets. And so, you know, this going into 2015, I, you know, I, I've been doing this for a long time, but it seems like that, you know, the longer I do this, the more people are taking the occasion of the turn of the calendar year to, you know, to traffic in. Uh, prophecy and wouldn't you know it uh, Kenneth Copeland has joined the ranks and uh, and so I mean in, in years past we've actually covered uh, Pat Robertson in fact what we're going to be doing at the tail end of the first hour today is we're going to go back to uh, this time last year and, and apparently the way I understand the story Pat Robertson well he's got some kind of a cabin or something up in the woods in the mountains of Virginia and he every year he climbs the mountain and he experiences solitude and and deprives himself of television and media and other stimuli so that he can clearly hear the lord and that's kind of how this goes and so last year he uh, he descended the mountain and on his television program the 700 club he went ahead and gave us some well prophecies and so we're going to fact check those we're going to fact check those at the um, the tail end of uh, hour number one today to see how he did. And and here's the idea, is that anybody claiming to be a prophet, according to the biblical rules laid down for a prophet, if they say something's going to happen and it doesn't happen, according to the biblical standard, and I'll walk through this when we get there, that if, if it doesn't happen, God's not talking to him. God doesn't stutter. It's not like God is... You know, it, it's very difficult for God to communicate to mankind, you know, which is one of the reasons why 
you know, we have that uh, Holy Spirit sketch that we do uh, in, in the Max Holiday mix, you know, where the Holy Spirit is just, you know, he's trying to reach somebody and you can't find him, you know. So he's, you know, I, I'm so confused. I, you know, the world is so complicated and, you know, I, I can't seem to find nobody. And, you know, but I, I found Melissa Fisher. And so I'm going to give the message to her and she's got to go find Vincent and you know, that kind of thing. So. Yeah, listen, if you're 90, in fact, who, who is it that said this? Um, D- Dr. James Duncan, Dr. James Duncan of, uh, <clears throat> you know, the, the, of the pajama pages. The, he actually sent out a tweet, this, uh, it was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday. And he, this was a great point. He said that if you're 99.999% sure that God spoke to you, then he didn't. Uh-huh. Trust it. Trust me, when God speaks, you, you would know it. There would be no doubt. It's not like trying to tune in a fuzzy radio kind of thing, you know. He goes, hello, this is the Holy Can you tune it back? I have a message. You know, it's not like that. Anyway. So, in fact, I've kind of derailed myself here. Let's let's take a look. We'll kind of walk through what it is we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We are going to start off with a money-grubbing televangelist update. Money-grubbing televangelist update, and there's going to be two pieces to this money-grubbing televangelist update. We're going to begin with um, Larry Huck. Yeah, Larry Huck of Larry Huck Ministries. Him and his wife, Tiz. Yeah, I didn't make that up. That is her name. Larry Huck and his wife, Tiz are going to be explaining to us, you know, the season that we're in and and how to break family curses and stuff like that. So uh, we're going to be listening to that. We'll probably take a break after that uh, segment. And then when we come back, we've got a couple of things that we need to do. We're going to first, you know, kind of still under the auspices of the money-grubbing televangelist update, we'll switch money-grubbing televangelists. And on the Kenneth Copeland television program, uh huh. Um. They it the, right at the end of the year, they put out a mm, a, a segment where um, Pastor George and Terry Pearson's. Uh, yeah. This is, and uh, Terry Pearson is uh, Kenneth Copeland's daughter, and uh, she's married to George Pearson. Uh, they they did a 2015 prophecies program. So we're going to listen in to some of the prophecies being claimed from. Um, uh, Kenneth Copeland Ministries. One of the weird things is is that one of the claims, you know, this prophetic claim for what's supposed to be for 2015, I've heard this exact same prophecy. I just can't remember what year I heard it. I don't know if it was 2014, 2013, but uh, yeah, it's strange, you know, kind of stuff. But the kind of stuff that if you are, if you think that these people are actually ministering to the body of Christ, no, you got another thing coming. They're not. And then what we will do then after that is we will uh, do our fact-checking. We're going to go back in time. And uh, by going back in time, we're going to listen to what prophecies, what claim, what what is it that uh, Pat Robertson claimed God was saying to him when he climbed Mount Virginia? You know, I don't know what it's called, but, um, and, you know, in order to receive the word of the Lord for 2014. So uh, we covered this in in January of last year and we're going to go back and listen to the prophecies specifically and uh, we're going to see whether or not Pat Robertson is a true prophet or if he's a false prophet. Now keep in mind 
Uh, technically, he's already a false prophet because who did he say God told him was going to win the presidential election a few years back? That's right. God told, apparently told uh, Pat Robertson that it was going to be Mitt Romney, and Mitt Romney did not win. And so we're going to ask some tough questions regarding uh, Pat Robertson's continuance, and that's probably the best way to put it, continuance uh, in not getting it right and yet pinning it on the Lord. And then in hour number two, hour number two, we're going to be we're going to be heading down to Fellowship Church out there in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and we're going to be listening to the first sermon in the sermon series entitled Fifty Shades of They. Fifty Shades of They. That's right, Fifty Shades of They. And uh, we're going to note the fact that uh, what's going on here is, well, Ed Young is selling his book by preaching from it, and which kind of uh, you know, begs the question, is this ethically right? Is it ethically right for a pastor to do sermon series centered around a book that he's just published? You know, this is one of those things that bugs me because it's not as if it's only somebody who's like a seeker-driven vision-casting leader who does something like this. You know, in my lifetime, I've seen reputable um, pastors, you know, who have decent radio ministries do similar things. And I'm getting to the point where I'm thinking this is this is this the job of the pastor is to preach the word, which, you know, hence the uh, Alistair Begg segments that we did yesterday. And uh, the pastor is not supposed to, you know, kind of cross lines in that way. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's it's I think it's a conflict of interest, but we'll we'll kind of unpack that when we get to Fifty Shades of Day. And this is one of those sermons where you got to know a little bit of scripture in order to get what's going on, because it's not exactly like he's totally wrong, but he's. He's the you know what we say here is the emphasis is on the wrong syllable, so it's apparently this Fifty Shades of They is all about making you know making right choices for good friendships and relationships and things like that, and uh, it's not as if the Bible doesn't have anything to say about you know relationships, especially marital relationships, um, and and you know and you know the Book of Proverbs does talk about friendships in the sense that you know bad company corrupts good character. I don't know if that's act- that may not be right in the Proverbs, but there's similar, there's Proverbs along those lines. And so it's not as if the Bible doesn't talk about this topic. It's just that the way Ed Young is preaching from it, it's almost as if he's intentionally missing the point. Yeah, so you know that's how we're going to spend today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We've got lots of ground to cover and since we're going to begin with a money-grubbing televangelist update, and this will be in, you know, kind of in t- uh, two, well, maybe three segments, because I, th- I guess that's what uh, Pat Robertson is. You know, this will be our money-grubbing televangelist umbrella update for the next uh, three thing, you know, p- parts that you're going to hear here at Fighting for the Faith. Here we go. I've got 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira, now the Deutsche Mark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. Money, money, money. There's nothing like a newly minted pound. Money, money, money. Everyone must anger for the bunchness of a banker. It's accountancy that makes the world go round, round, round. You can keep your Marxist ways, but it's only just a phrase. For it's money, money, money makes the world go round. 
Oh, yeah. And believe me when I tell you, Larry Huck, stir, um, yeah, of Larry Huck, stir ministries and his wife, Tiz Huck, stir. Um, that, that's really what they're all about. These people are shameless. I mean, this, there's just no other way to describe it. This is the epitome of what it means to teach for shameful gain things that you ought not to teach. And so to kind of lead us into the topic that we will be listening to, I'm going to hand over the microphone to uh, Larry and Tiz Huck as uh, and you know as they explain to us how to break family curses and talk about the season that we're in. I mean, oh yeah, I mean, you, and it'll make you want to grab your wallet and hide it. You know, is the best way I can put it. But uh, here's Larry Huck. Larry and Tiz Huck, and welcome to today's broadcast. Now listen to this. Okay. God's word says, or actually, it asks a question: Is there not? An appointed time. Right now, we're in the middle of the four blood moons. Mm. Number eight, the yep. season of the supernatural. Yeah, no, I wish you could see Tiz Huck's face. Um, I mean, sorry, Tiz Huck. Stir. Anyway, I wish you could see her face. The reason I'm saying that is because she's got that mmm kind of thing going on here. And the look on her face is, oh, baby. Mmm, preach it so so that uh, I can make the next payment on my Bentley or something like that. That's kind of what it looks like, you know. Come on, bring in the cash, baby. <laughs> yeah. This, yeah, again, this is um, <clears throat> teaching for shameful gain, things you ought not to teach. Does not the Bible say? Does not that there's an appointed time? <laughs> there's an appointed season. <laughs> well, we're right in the middle of the four blood moons, which means absolutely nothing. Yeah, that's right. The four blood moons are a complete fabrication made up by somebody who is trying to superimpose onto the biblical text some kind kind of prophetic significance to that common occurrence known as a lunar eclipse. Yeah, that's right. You know, when you talk about the moon turning to blood in the Bible, it's because the sun is darkened. That's the reason why. So when somebody comes around as you know and they're falling for this uh, blood moons stuff, They've basically caved into fear mongering. You know, people who are teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. And so, appointed time, appointed season, we're in the middle of the four blood moons. Woohoo! What about the Shemitah? We're in the middle of Shemitah. We're. Yeah, Shemitah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, again, means absolutely nothing. And, and you're going, well, how do you know, Chris? How do you know the Shemitah's not bona fide for real thing? I mean, I've seen. I, I've seen charts that show that the year of the Shemitah, you know, is uh, is when we've had major catastrophic uh, collapses on Wall Street and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Again, post hoc ergo propter hoc. And see, here's the idea is, is that the United States of America is not part of and has not signed on to the Mosaic Covenant. And so the most uh, the Mosaic Covenant is it's dead it's it's done away with it's passed away, uh huh. We're under the new covenant, and so the the basic premise of the Shemitah, as taught by Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, is that somehow the United States has maybe inadvertently, you know, signed on the dotted line regarding the uh, uh, the uh, Mosaic Covenant, and is therefore of obligated obligated, you know, to you know. To celebrate jubilee and all this kind of you know this ridiculous stuff, and so the reason why the, the, there's these shmita cycles of disaster in the American economy, well, that's because 
That's because uh, the United States is not meeting its obligations uh, regarding the Mosaic Covenant. Well, I would say, well, if you want to, if you want to say the United States is under the Mosaic Covenant, yeah, which is again bizarre. Um, well, then we better put away bacon. You know, I, I, I know, I know. I heard that groan out there. Yeah, you, know, you know, because you know the United States doesn't eat kosher either. So you know, it's it's just unbelievable what's going on here. People throwing around these biblical terms without any context for what these things mean or how they uh, how they are to be applied. Instead, they're just throwing this stuff out there. Why? Because they found they can make a buck. But we continue. God is going to change your finances yeah. where you'll be the head and not the tail, the lender and not the borrower. God is going to change my finances, so I'm going to be the head, not the tail, the lender, not the borrower. Really, where does God's word actually promise that just because of Shemitah and the four blood moons? Yeah, see, when somebody is making these types of promises, they're not actually speaking on behalf of God. They're not rightly handling God's word. This is all designed to make a buck, like I've been saying. And we're only months away from going into Jubilee. Jubilee. Yeah, there she goes again. Jubilee. Bring it home, baby. We're gonna bank account's gonna be padded. I'm thinking a new uh private jet, maybe a yacht. Yeah, that's what that's how Tiz is acting. Oh yeah, bring home the bacon, Daddy. This is the launching of the time of the Messiah. Yeah. It's an appointed time. Yeah. But it's Europe. Launching of the time of the Messiah. What? Appointed time because today we're going to break every curse. Yes. That's been blocking your blessing. Stay. Yeah, we're going to we're going to break every clur- curse that's been blocking your blessing. So now I'm going to fast forward because now we get to the beginning of their program. So that you know that that's the lead up, and then they're playing their uh, their introduction music while. You know, with photographs and a little mon- you know, video montage of uh, Larry and Tiz Huck in their very expensive home, and you know, on a trip to Israel in their very expensive studio. Oh yeah, they're they're bringing home the bacon for sure, but they're not rightly handling God's word and telling you what it really says. So let's continue. We're talking about an appointed time, and and I just have to throw this in that when we went from the tease, the beginning of the of the program, until we came in here, some of the folks in the room said that, that was teleprompter good, and <laughs> and our grand my our grand sugars asked me all the time. They said, Saba, do you read what you're saying? And and as we say, no, we don't yeah. read because what we're saying is in our hearts. Yeah. It's in our spirit. It's yeah, yeah, it's in your heart. All right, to snooker these, you know, people who watch your program and fleece them for money. I agree. Yeah, that's truly in your heart. Yeah, it's it's in our it's lives. in our anointing in our yeah. lives, and it and it means it to us. It's it's. It's the rhema of God, the word of God for the moment. And guys, the word of God for the rhema of God is the word of God for the moment. What? The moment in you for you right now from us to you Mm. is that we are in an appointed time. We're in the four blood moons. We're in Shemitah. Maybe you don't understand all that. Yeah, I understand it totally. And I understand that you're just pulling the wool over people's eyes. Because the United States of America is not part of and has not signed on to the Mosaic Covenant, which, by the way, is dead. And nobody can keep the Mosaic Covenant now. There is no temple. 
going into Jubilee. Yep. And, I, and I believe in all my heart, this launches us into the time of the Messiah. Yeah. And I can't help but think, Tiz, of what the, the great, great rabbi, Rabbi Schneerson said, yeah. is right before the coming of the Messiah, yes. there will be Gentiles whose eyes will be opened, mm. the truths in the word of God. Yeah. And the blessing of God will be so great yes. on them Amen. that it will get the world's attention. Yes. And and really <laughs> Gentiles will have their eyes open to the world the word of God and it will be so amazing that the world will stand up and take notice what are you talking about Rabbi Shmuva yeah ugh. all of that yeah. is on us right now but in oh yeah it's on us right now in order for that to happen yep. we need to break every curse yes. every family oh wow I mean who knew? I mean, in order for this time of the Messiah to actually happen, that you, well, you gotta. We need Larry and Tiz Huck to break curses, you know, that are blocking these blessings. You know, curse every generational curse, yeah. every curse today. We're going to break every curse Amen. that is blocking. Yeah. And and I'm telling you this by the Holy Spirit. Not- no, you're not. The Holy Spirit did not tell you to say this. This is a con. And you're going to have to give an accounting to Jesus Christ for doing this. Not only blocking the blessing, and it may have been blocking the blessing for generations in your family, but the curse that's even delaying the blessing because this is an appointed time. And we say this all the time in ancient Hebrew. Yeah, she's again, she's saying, oh, preach it, baby. Oh, yeah, bring home the bacon daddy. Whoa, yeah, I can smell the money coming in. There's no word for For coincidence. coincidence. It's not a coincidence that God's laid on our heart to teach about breaking family curses, teaching on the 10 curses. It's not a coincidence. Of course, it's not a coincidence. You plan this because you've made resources available. You've written a book on this. Yeah, it's not a coincidence that you're talking about it on the air. You pre this is a premeditated deception designed to bring in the bacon, baby. The block the blessing. And it's not a, a coincidence that you're watching. If you're watching right now, have eyes to see and ears to hear, yeah. because it means that you have been handpicked yeah. by God. It's an ancient Jew. So if you're watching the I mean you're flipping channels at night, you know. It maybe have insomnia and you're, you know, you're in, in the, in the living room and uh, yeah, up again. And so you turn the television on, you know, after watching sports center, you know, you flip the channel and there's Larry and Tiz Huck and you're going, Oh, what's this? Shemitah financials, uh, blood moons. Whoa. And so, you know, you sit down and you're listening and then, yeah. And then they're sitting there and it's not a coincidence. You're watching this right now. And you're, really? That was a divine appointment. Really? This is all manipulation. And see, there, there are so many different hooks in what's already taken place. I mean, we're like three minutes and 40 seconds into this. That all of these hooks are designed to deceive you, draw you in. And at the end of it, oh, you got to send in money to buy the product. Larry Huck's 10 curses that block the blessing. Oh, you didn't even know there were curses out there blocking your blessing so the reason why you're financially strapped is because of a generational curse that's kept you from you know having 
An abundant life. I mean, who knew? Jewish mm. prophecy. You've been handpicked by God yeah. to have the curses broken and begin to walk in the blessing so yes. great. Why? Why is this important? Because Jesus said, I've come to give you yeah. life and that life more abundant. Out of context, go read John 10, 10 in context. Start at John chapter 9, verse 1 and keep reading and you'll realize what's going on there. In your home, in your family, in yes. your finances, yeah. but also... All the world will call you blessed, and it will draw the world back to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what's going to draw people to Jesus is your wealth. Mm -hmm. Right. There's so much here in these products. It's so important that you... I'm glad you called it that, Tiz, because that's what it is. It's just a product. Bunch of meaningless words. You know, with Bible verses out of context, stringing together something that you claim is some kind of a Hebrew roots-ish type of teaching. But it isn't. It's all a con designed to make you extremely wealthy. And it has, hasn't it? You get these tapes, get these books. Yeah, because we can't teach it You all. can't teach this in a half-hour segment or even in a month. Yeah. There's so much. And it's like, you know, people use the illustration, it's like an onion. You peel the layers off. You know, there's things in your life God will put, peel away, and then he'll peel more away, and this and that. So it's a progressive thing. But, Larry, you know, I know sometimes people write to us and they say that I get a breakthrough I feel freedom in my life. Good point. Or maybe I get a breakthrough in my finances, but then all of a sudden it seems like I'm back to where I started right. or even further. Right. What is... Which kind of begs the question, if it was truly a blessing from God that you were experiencing in the truest sense, the God's favor, and you know, the clouds had parted and the face of God shone upon you and, and decided to bless you, why would there be a setback then? What could preve- possibly keep God from blessing you if you wanted to? Hmm? It's the key to getting free and staying free. You know, oh, I see. You, you didn't understand that, oh, you not only have to break those curses, that, well, there's an ongoing maintenance to, to being curse-free. A lot of people, I think, and we did, and that's why the Bible says we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Exactly. We were born again. We were children of God. Tiz and I were in the ministry, but we had to learn how to break family curses. And you say, well, Pastor Larry, aren't those automatically done through Jesus Christ? They're automatically ours through Jesus Christ, but it's the truth you know truth you understand yes. that will set you free let yep. me get what so i mean just because you're a christian doesn't mean you get all the benefits yeah no 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 see yeah you you've got to learn how to read the fine print of the will you know because you know it's an inheritance right so if you haven't read out the will you don't know which oh you don't know all the different things that are available to you you know let me, let me give you an example okay jesus is walking with the disciples yeah, yeah. and All of a sudden, Jesus says to Peter, who do men say that I am? Mm. Okay, you're a Christian, you're born again. Who is Jesus? Well, there are some people that say, well, he's, he's my savior. He forgave me of my sin. And that's right, he did. But he did much more than that. And I have to say this all the time. If that's all he did, we couldn't thank him enough. We couldn't praise him enough. Oh, yeah. So now we got the atonement plus. Okay, so what else did Jesus do, please? But he didn't come just to get us to heaven. He came, Jesus' own word said, I have come to give you life and to give you that life more abundant. So. Uh.
again, the, you know, he's turning that into some kind. Oh, see, you know, that's not even talking about what Jesus has done on the cross. And what does it mean to have an abundant life? These people have limited the abundant life to, oh, you got to be healthy and you got to be wealthy and all that kind of nonsense temporally. And so, oh, yeah, well, you know, Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. Well, we're happy he did that. Yay, Jesus. Oh, but he did so much more than that. And what's the proof text? John 10, 10 out of context. You know, it makes me want to uh, spend a little bit of time teaching. Um, yeah, Let's do this. Let's do this. I, I can save the uh, Kenneth Copeland thing for tomorrow. But, you know, here's what we'll do. I'm going to uh, take a break. I'm gonna, when I come back, I'm going to walk through this life abundantly thing. And uh, we're going to do this in context. And then we'll uh, do our fact checking with... Uh, with Pat Robertson, because I mean, this, I mean, this is the kind of thing you got to realize that Larry Huck has so many people watching this and thinking that they're hearing God's word and they're learning sound biblical doctrine. They're not, they are being conned like you wouldn't believe. And uh, as a result of that, I mean, these people are, you know, the people who listen to them are being taken advantage of and being manipulated financially. So let me go ahead and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take a break. Uh, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. When we come back, we're going to hear the, we're, well, we're going to actually spend some time in the Gospel of John, this life abundantly stuff. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. It's... Python's Flying Circus Church. The management of Marty Python's Flying Circus Church would like to again apologize. Normally, we try to do parody here at Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Unfortunately, the church continues to just parody itself. Case in point, Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed shofar CD. This is a real commercial. When Rabbi Michael Zeitler blows the shofar, miracles take place. He wants to see God break every stronghold of the enemy in your life, healing you emotionally, physically, even in your relationships, bringing salvation to your entire household. Call now and receive both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD, Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Listen to this anointed audio CD. Allow God's glory to fill the room as Rabbi Zeitler shares from the scriptures and then blows the shofar over every issue you are facing, including mental and emotional disorders, confusion, fear, stress, grief, nightmares, insomnia, pain, sickness and disease, addictions, eating disorders, weight loss, injustices, persecution, finances, marriages, rebellious children, freedom from the occult and demonic oppression, and so much more. Through Rabbi Zeitler's brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, you will learn how you and your family can obtain supernatural protection in the midst of the end time judgments about to be unleashed on planet earth don't miss out on getting both rabbi michael zeitler's anointed audio cd sound of the shofar plus his brand new prophetic book why israel is supernatural for a donation of 25 dollars, shipping and handling is included ask for offer number 9081 call or write today 
Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about the Bowflex Max Trainer. Now, if you're like me and you want to stay fit and you want to exercise and keep active, uh, but you don't have hours to dedicate going to the gym, well, consider the Bowflex Max Trainer. I've been able to use this piece of equipment over the last nine weeks, and I've been consistently able to lose a pound a week on the Bowflex Max Trainer. And some days I was only able to exercise... For 14 minutes. Yeah, that's right. There's a 14-minute workout on this thing that will leave you dripping with sweat. It uses uh, interval training to kind of boost your metabolism up, and the afterburn effect on this thing is actually quite amazing. So if you'd like more information about the Bowflex Max Trainer, visit FightingForTheFaith.com. And along the side, you'll see an advertisement for the Bowflex there on our website. Click on that, head on over to the Bowflex site, and check out the information regarding the Bowflex Max Trainer trainer. It has been a fantastic piece of equipment for me, and I'm hoping that if you're looking for a piece of equipment that will work for you and you have limited time, this will help meet those needs. Again, fightingforthefaith.com, click on the Bowflex ad and get your Max Trainer today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that televangelists are just out to get your money and they're not teaching God's Word properly. And if that's what you think, you'd be right. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota. Zip code 58208, and let me thank you for your support because we cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's uh, open up our Bible, okay, and uh, let's deal with this John 10.10 verse. Is John 10.10 talking about Christ's atonement and it doing so much more than just forgiving your sins? Well, now keep this in mind. In a very real way, Christ's atonement has done more than forgive your sins. And let me kind of work this out uh, a little bit backwards here, okay? When we look in Scripture, we look in Scripture, we see that our hope as Christians is in the resurrection. Yeah, we, each and every one of us. We, our lives here are but a vapor. And when you read the Bible, this is what it says over and over again. We, well, we live a temporal life here, you know, 50, 60, 80, 100 years, right? 120 if, you know, if you're really, I don't want to say lucky. That's not the right way to put it. But, I mean, if for some reason, you know, there's always somebody that can make it into their hundreds, right? But, you know, octogenarians are, you know, they're they're pushing it. And then you get into your 90s. And yeah, you're really pushing it, right? But so the, the idea here is, is that God does not promise us eternal life here he promises us eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. And so the idea is, is that you know God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, right? And so the idea is, is that 
Christ's death and resurrection, his vicarious death on the cross for your sins, ultimately will give you perfect health. It absolutely will. It will give you perfect, it will actually give you wealth beyond what you can possibly imagine. Why? I mean, well, you know, think of the kingdom of heaven. The streets are lined with gold. You know, there's no poverty, no sickness, no no disease, you know, in, 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 in the new heaven, in the new heavens, the new earth, you know, the, we're going to live eternally as, as resurrected people. So when Christ returns, the idea here is, is that right now we have a down payment, a deposit guaranteeing the inheritance. We do not have the inheritance now. Instead, Christ has called us right now to humble ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him. And Jesus over and again warns of the love of money. And uh, in you know Luke 16, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And oftentimes I would, you know, I think this is a good way to say it is, is that, you know, God allows us to have what we need and not more. Because having more than what we need, we would end up depending upon money. We would we create money would be an idol, and uh, and many times God gives you what you need and not less. Because uh, sometimes poverty is a mean thing which causes you to despise God, and so God in His mercy oftentimes will allow Christians to live their lives, you know, as you know, having to write a budget having to live paycheck to paycheck or having a, a savings account that at the end of it you have enough to retire on and not go on extravagant vacations. You'll never own a, a you know a, a, a Learjet or anything like that, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's a great place to be in because that way of existing requires you to pray every day. Give us this day our daily bread. And you depend upon God rather than make money into an idol and depend upon it, or worse, depend upon yourself. And so, um, there's there's no, there's nothing wrong with these things, you know, in that sense. But what's going on there with um, Tiz and Larry Huck Stir is that they are twisting God's word here because they're trying to sell a product. You know, apparently Larry Huck has discovered these 10 curses that are blocking your blessing. And you, oh, it's going to take hours for you to work your way through these materials and these DVDs and the book. And, oh, we we don't have enough time here in 30 minutes to go into this. If the, okay, let let me put this out there logically for you. If the Bible taught that there were 10 curses that are blocking your blessing, why is it that the church has not been teaching about these ten curses that block your blessing from its beginning? The answer is simple. This is not what God's Word says. There is no passage you can go to in the Pauline epistles that lays out the ten uh, curses that are blocking your blessing. No, not at all. So what these people are doing is they're twisting God's Word, ripping verses out of context and saying, Hey, we know that Jesus did more than die on the cross for just your sins because, you know... Hey, you, I came that you have may have life and have it abundantly, and that means you need to. Oh, you're gonna be. Oh, you're gonna experience financial blessing and breakthrough. This is what it means to scratch itching ears. Now, I've I've said it before, and I've taught on this before. The context of John ten ten begins at John chapter nine verse one. Here's what it says: As he Jesus uh, went along, hang on, we switch translations. As he went along, he passed by. He saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, 
but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming, when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which meant sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, notice here, I'm going to kind of point this out, you know, kind of a little side note. Um, Jesus could have just said to the guy, be healed, and his eyes would have been healed. Uh, instead, Jesus, for whatever reason, and this is how God operates many times uh, in Scripture, he has attached his um, his power, his word, his, um, his miracle, if you would, to earthly things. Mm-hmm. And we can even say, in a very real sense, that spit that made you know the mud, the mud then becomes, in a way, a sacrament. The healing is there working in the mud. Yeah, that's what's going on. So he went to Siloam, washed the, washed the mud off, and he came back seeing. So the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is not this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, Well, it is he. Others said, No, but it, it, it just looks like him. And he kept saying, I'm the man. I'm the man. So, I mean, this is a bona fide, for real miracle. Now, by the way, where is this guy today? He's dead. He's with the Lord. <laughs> yeah, his his you know his body not only is not seeing, it's not breathing. It it may even not even have enough left of it that it's and there's even bones. It might all be dust now, right? Uh huh. Yeah, just keep all that in mind. This world is passing away. Okay. Now some said it's he. Others said no. It just looks like him. He says no. I'm the man. So they said to him, Well, how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went, I washed, and I received my sight. So they said to him, well, where is he? He said, I don't know. Now keep in mind, this man has not seen Jesus yet, has not seen him. But there's been a miracle, and uh, the Pharisees, um, who have a false religion, this is, the Pharisaical religion is not Judaism. It's not. It is a heresy. It is a twisted thing. And these are, the Pharisees are usurpers. You know, they've replaced the, the Mosaic law with their own laws. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And see, oh, there's the rub. Now, did Jesus break the Sabbath? No, he did not break the Sabbath. Had he broken the Sabbath, he would have sinned. And had he sinned, he would not be able to be your Savior. But you know what he did? He broke the Pharisees' laws. The Pharisees, uh, it's called the um, tradition of the elders, right? And the tradition of the elders uh, is is the oral Torah. So they've broken the oral Torah, which the Pharisees claim is, is just as authoritative as the written Torah. But it's not. Jesus repudiates that in Mark chapter 7, if you want the details. So um, now, it was the Sabbath when Jesus made mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again said to him, How has he received his sight? And he said to them, Well, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed and I see. Now some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Oh, oh no, 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 he does. Jesus keeps the Sabbath perfectly. But see, he breaks the so-called oral Torah, the law of the elders, doesn't respect its authority and repudiates it and basically says it's the doctrines of men being passed off as the doctrines of God. Again, that marks, that's Mark chapter 7. So, 
All right, so some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Great question, right? And, uh, and remember the initial question, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Right. So there was a division among them. So they, uh, they said again to the blind men, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, Well, he's a prophet. So the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and that he had received a sight until they called the parents of the man who had received a sight. And they asked him, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he see? Parents totally cop out here. So his parents answered, Well, we know that this is our son and he was born blind. Yeah, we can verify that. Um, (laughs) But how he now sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Now, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Messiah, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. Yeah, they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. So for the second night, thinking, what does this have to do with John 10.10? The answer is everything. This is the context. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Jesus is a sinner, right? This is preposterous. Why are they saying this? Well, because Jesus is breaking the oral Torah, the tradition of the elders, which says you can't do such things on the Sabbath. I mean, you can't even push a chair back from the table if, uh, if, it, you, know, if you have a dirt floor because that, according to the tradition of the elders, would equal plowing, and you can't plow on the Sabbath, right? So, you know, so we know that this man's a sinner. Give glory to God. He answered, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, that I was blind and now I see. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? So they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. No, you're not. You're really not disciples of Moses. If you were truly disciples of Moses, you would believe in Jesus because Moses told told you about Jesus, right? But we can. I digress. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. And the man answered, "Why? Why? This is an amazing thing." You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Great theology from the recently healed blind man. Mm -hmm. Again, this has everything to do with John 10.10. So they answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us. Notice the self-righteousness. They're dismissing this guy with an ad hominem argument. You're a sinner. We're not. Oh, you can't teach us. And they, so they cast him out. So Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him. Now, this is the first time that this man's going to see Jesus. He's blind. He's born blind. He's been healed. And he's literally suffered for the name of Christ suffered because he was healed, right? But he defended Jesus, and his theology was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, that debunked the Pharisees. So Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him. So Jesus seeks this man out. He said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Interesting question to begin things off. He answered, who is he, sir, so that I might believe in him? 
And here's what Jesus says. You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Notice the play on words regarding sight, right? You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And by the way, the Gospel of John, John writes at the end of his Gospel, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing have life in his name. Lord, I believe, and he worshipped Jesus. That's right. This man worships Jesus. You can only worship God, but this man worships Jesus, telling us that, well, this man believes that Jesus is God. And how do we know this secondarily? Because he refers to him as Lord. He doesn't call him rabbi. He calls him Lord. So Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that those who do not see may see. And those who see, or at least claim they see, that they become blind. Now some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Chapter 10. Now the story continues. Jesus then takes the occasion to teach. Amen, amen. Truly, truly. I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Who's Jesus referring to? Not the devil. He's referring to the Pharisees. The referent here of the one who climbs in by another way, the referent is the Pharisees. These are people who are usurpers. They have brought their own doctrines, their own... <laughs> Their own Torah, they are self-appointed. Nowhere in the Old Testament is the office of a Pharisee established. These men have, according to Jesus, climbed in. They're robbers. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought them all out, out his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, watch this, again, this, this story continues, Truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Who's the thief? The referent is not Satan. The referent is the false teachers. It's the Pharisees. That's right, the false teachers, the Pharisees, they've come to steal, to kill, and destroy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and notice that their behavior is murderous. Notice that, their that you know, they're described as people who love money. The Pharisees are all about money. So are, false, you know, the, so are every false teacher, really, if you think about it. And to destroy, they're not about taking care of the sheep. They're about destroying the sheep. The referent is not the devil. The referent is the Pharisees. So I came that they might have life. I came that the sheep might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, in contrast to the Pharisees who will not lift a finger to help people, right? 
He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. In contrast to the Pharisees who do nothing but beat the sheep, right? And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, the Gentiles, I, that, I might, that I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. There shall be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Yeah. Now, there was, a, again, a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Do you see how verse 21 makes it clear that this is all part of the context? The story starts at John 9, 1, ends at John 10, 21. The thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. Those are the false teachers. Those are the Pharisees. Those are the ones who peddle in false doctrine and tamper with God's word in order to make merchandise of Christ's flock. Those are the ones who teach for shameful gain things that they ought not to teach. Yeah, in fact, what Larry Huck was doing what we, what, before we interrupted him to you know, go into the break, he was doing the exact same thing that Jesus is warning his sheep about. The thief is the robber. They, they don't come in by the gate. They come to steal, take people's money, kill, and destroy. Right. And then you look then back at the context, and you realize, okay, this isn't saying that, oh, Jesus did more than die for my sins. That's not what's going on here. Jesus does talk about laying his life down for the sheep. But again, What's the promise of Scripture? It's the promise of eternal life, world without end, resurrected bodies where there is no sin, there is no death, there is no disease, none of that. And Christ will wipe away every tear from your eye. In fact, I mean, we won't even want to recall the things of this passing away earth when we're in in that new earth in our new resurrected bodies. So, yeah, <clears throat> I think you get the point. But uh, now we—I promised you that uh, for the uh, final portion of uh, the first hour, we were going to go back in time and uh, take a listen to the prophecies of of Pat Robertson given for 2014 in order to determine whether or not he is a true prophet. So, in order to go back in time, I have a little bit of help here. Now, those of you um, who are Doctor Who fans, my apologies, but. I wasn't able, I couldn't afford the TARDIS um, for this particular segment. So I've I've had to resort, you know, to my trusty time machine, uh, you know, the DeLorean from uh, the Back to the Future movie. So let's uh, let's plug in our, our coordinates and uh, time for when we need to travel back to, and we'll get right to it. All right, here, let's uh, whirl up the old flux capacitor. Okay, and... Uh... Go. Flux capacitor is fluxing. Let's uh, enter the time circuits here. We're going to travel back to 
Jan, uh, yeah, January first, twenty fourteen, and let's enter. All right, good. The uh, the time circuits are good. Uh, the all the year stuff looks perfect here. Present time, the last departed destination looks good. All right, let's uh, take the DeLorean out. And let's get up to eighty eight miles an hour, and uh, we'll head back in time. Here. the alarm for the plutonium. Yeah, I forgot to bring spare. Oh, it looks like I'm stuck here. I'll have to figure out how to get back later. All right, we're back in the year 2014, and we're going to listen to Pat Robertson give his prophecies for the year 2014. And uh, keep this in mind. Scripture is very clear about whether or not somebody's a true prophet or a false prophet. Okay, and so here's what it says, Deuteronomy chapter 18. I'm going to leave. The, I'm going to put this in context because I think the context is very important because the context points to Jesus. Remember, I said earlier that Moses told us about Jesus. He did. This is one of those places. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Yahweh, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Yeah, this is talking about Jesus. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb. On the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire, any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak to them all that I command him, and whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, this is verse 20, a prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? Logical question. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true. That is a word the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. In fact, at that point, um, what should happen to the false prophet if he were living in ancient Israel? This is not the law of the United States, but if, if, you know, the, if the false prophet was living in the nation state of Israel, ancient Israel, this was a capital crime. You were stoned to death. So uh, let's take a listen to uh, Pat Robertson and see what his batting average for his prophecies for 2014 was. Here we go. What was the message? I think what I said to the staff was love, that we've got to exercise. God is love. He's also light, Mm. and we have to walk in the light as he is in the light. Okay, so first is God is love and God is light. I don't need a, I don't need Pat Robertson going to uh, his cabin in the mountains of Virginia to tell me that. God's word already says that. Strange that he'd start off with that. So is that a true prophecy or false prophecy? I would say it's um, it's a superfluous prophecy. I don't need Pat Robertson to tell me this. What is he going to do this year? Well, I, I offer that, Wendy, uh, with humility saying, uh, 
let's see what happens. And, uh, you know, check it out when the year's over. Was I right or wrong? But number one. Yeah, well, that's what we're doing. I think that the world is going to be in chaos this year. We're not going to have a unified world. And I think sometime during the year, there's going to be some kind of a credit crisis. And I think China is going to lead the way. I think uh, we'd be a very sad, you know, that whole economy is like a house of cards. And when it starts falling, it can affect the entire world mm-hmm. because the Chinese purchases of raw material and goods, you know, you. Okay, you... so here's a question I have for you. Um, was there, a, it was 2014 marked by quote unquote turmoil in the world well there was turmoil in the world but is this really a prophecy because that's kind of vague now you look at what happened in the ukraine there was clearly turmoil in the world but see the thing is is that every year there's turmoil in the world now was there a huge credit crisis caused by the chinese unless i missed it I mean, I don't recall waking up and, you know, any time during the, you know, 2014, big Chinese credit crisis, you know. No, he got that one wrong. The uh, the first one regarding turmoil in the world, I mean, that's like saying, I, I see that in the year 2014, um, skyscrapers are going to have window washers clean their windows and, and the sky is going to be blue. Yeah, so that first one really wasn't prophetic, now was it? The second one, no, that's not right at all. All the markets, whether it's gold, whether it's silver, whether it's copper, whether it's aluminum, whether it's steel, whether it's timber, all those things sucked in by the Chinese economy. So if they start having trouble, uh, it'll be trouble for everybody else. Um, The other thing is I do believe that the Iranians will have a nuclear device before the end of the year. All right, so do the... um Has the world been informed of the crisis of the fact that the Iranians have a nuclear device? Did that happen in the year 2014? Nope. It sure didn't, did it? That's a false prophecy, along with the Chinese credit crisis. And Obama is using a a tactic of containment. That's not going to work. We used to say we're not going to let them have it. Now they're going to say, well, we're just going to contain it. Well, that's, that's a bad policy. Um, the next thing is I, I do believe that the Republicans will win control of the of the Congress. Um, but Yeah, then they did. But see, the thing is, is that political pundits were claiming that at the end of 2013 without any special revelation from God. I mean, going into the election, everybody pretty much knew what was going to happen. But I guess technically this qualifies as a f- true prophecy. So he got that one right, the Iranian nukes wrong, the uh, world crisis caused by Chinese credit. Uh, yeah, that didn't happen. They will not have a veto-proof majority, so they'll be able to pass some stuff. But uh, unless they can get Democrats to go along uh, with them, it, they cannot override a presidential veto. The other thing is I think that the president is going to be severely, severely hampered. I, I, I think uh, America is going to turn against him uh, much more so than now as that uh, affordable care thing starts biting hard as it is. He's going to be discredited terribly. And as a process, I think that he's going to uh, 
uh, withdraw. He likes Hawaii. He spent a lot of time in Hawaii. Yeah, I haven't seen Barack Obama withdraw. I mean, do, do the words executive orders mean anything to you? Probably figured, you know, okay, I've done my thing. Now let's go surfing. <laughs> so there you have it. The uh, so-called prophecies that God told Pat Robertson regarding what would take place in the year 2014. What does a prophet who speaks in the name of the Lord, what does his batting average have to be? 1,000. Was there a big global credit crisis caused by the Chinese economy? No. Iranians, do they have nukes? No. Did Barack Obama just decide to, you know, go surfing and just become an indigent president? No, not at all. So, um, Pat Robertson, factually wrong. He did not hear from the Lord. The Lord does not speak to him. This is what he said was not, you know, some direct revelation from God, the Holy Spirit. God knows the future. God is capable of communicating to human beings so that if they were, he were to reveal what's going to take place in the future, they would know. So what does this make it? Well, make Pat Robertson a bona fide for real, wingnut false prophet. If he were living in ancient Israel, well, he'd, he'd be brought up on charges and would probably be facing capital punishment. But uh, since we don't practice that in the United States, don't take that upon yourself. Instead... What does that mean for us? No Christian should listen to or support or send money to Pat Robertson. He is a false teacher, false prophet, and I don't care how how much of a good, a nice old man that man might look like. He is a dangerous, dangerous individual, and uh, Christians should not be supporting or defending him. They should be calling him to repent and to step down and move aside or be gone because uh, you're a false prophet. You you are a danger and a threat to the Christian church. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be listening to an Ed Young sermon entitled 50 Shades of They. Yeah something wrong with that just stay tuned we'll be right back relevance schmelevance we preach christ crucified for our sins you're listening to fighting for the faith high ridge christian radio theater presents death of a salesman are ye a salesman why yes i am can i interest you in some Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code 
for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. We're back, hour number two of Fighting for the Faith, sermon review time. It's been a while since we've done an Ed Young sermon. What a singer of a name. Talk about hijacking pagan ideas and trying to Christianize them. But let's do this right. the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via fellowship church dallas fort worth area uh, ed young presiding the name of the sermon is entitled 50 shades of they yeah he's basically uh taken the pornographic novel by the name of 50 shades of gray and supposedly christianized it it's a a book supposedly about relationships, you know, the they's in your life that may be influencing you negatively. Yeah, um, that's problematic. Why anyone would try to quote-unquote redeem an unredeemable book title like that or book itself is beyond me. Um, so that is like one strike. The next strike is that, well, he's clearly preaching from the book. That's two strikes. Job of pastors to preach the word. It doesn't matter if he is a best-selling author or not. I, I really do not think it is the place of a pastor, either sound or unsound, to use the church as the uh, mechanism for book sales. That is a conflict of interest, and that's contrary to the uh, duties of the pastoral office. So let me go ahead and back off on the music, and we'll uh, obviously evaluate what he does with Scripture along the way. So without any further ado, here is Ed Young and uh, Fifty Shades of They. Here we go. Welcome all of our campuses at the different environments. How are you guys doing? I want to have a word of prayer before we begin this exciting series. Father, you brought everyone here for a reason. And I pray now that you would use my vocal cords, my background, my personal... See, there's that technique again. Um, oh, it's not a coincidence that you're here. Oh, you brought everybody here who has that fellowship here for a church for a reason. 
Well, if they're at church, the reason is to um, to hear the word. I mean, that's going to be one of the major reasons why people show up at church. The question is, are they going to hear it? Reality to communicate your message to every person here. Really, God, I don't have anything to say, but you have it all to say. I give my life to you. Yeah, that's not actually true. That's somewhat disingenuous. Oh, I don't have anything to say. You have it all to say. So, yeah, in this prayer, he's kind of setting up the expectation. Oh, the only thing he's going to be communicating is is God's word, right? But that's not what he's going to do. I would consider this to be a, a form of deception, kind of a diversionary tactic. Use me in Christ's name. Amen. I have a question for you. What did they influence you to do that you would not have done if they hadn't been around? Um, who's they? What did they, that's right, influence you to do that you would not have done if they hadn't been around? I'm talking about the sway of the they in your life and in mine. Because... Okay, now I understand. I mean, the, the, the scripture teaches bad company corrupts good character. I mean, there is a sense in which this is not off as far as the topic is concerned because clearly we are influenced by those we surround ourselves with. I, you know, I, I get that. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, it makes me wonder, will we get to the part of personal responsibility regardless of what your friends have influenced you to do? And what exactly is he talking about? Are we talking about friends who are influencing you to sin, influencing you to doubt God's word? Are we talking about an unbelieving spouse? Are we talking about a spouse who holds a different religion and you're capitulating and finding a way to syncretistically meld Christianity with uh, Hinduism or something? You know, what are we talking about here? All the time we say, they said, they feel. They have been coming to me. And now and then we'll say, who are they? The other day someone said, Ed, you're using the word they. Who are they? I said, they, them, them, those, those. Well, they're just a few. Was that an answer to the question? I mean, they, them, those, those, they, they are there just a few. Huh? <laughs> it sounds like a word game. Who are the they in your life? How do you spell relational relief? R-O-L-A-I-D-S. I mean, what are you talking about? How do you spell relational relief? What? It's fascinating that we have all of this study. We have all of this training in all these areas of life. Yet, when it comes to the most important area of life, relationships, rarely do we have any training. Rarely do we have any teaching, and that's why... Is it the job of a pastor to teach people how to do relationships? I mean, there's aspects of relationships that are addressed in Scripture, but I mean, isn't your job just to preach the Word and walk through the biblical text, and if something is brought up regarding relationships, you know, you preach on it because it's right there in God's Word, you know? Launching into this book, we're launching into the series because... Now, that was an important sentence. Hope you didn't miss it. He said, we're launching into this book. Which book? The book of Ephesians? The book of uh, the Gospel of John? The book of Revelation? The book of Genesis? No. 
the book that Ed Young wrote, Fifty Shades of They. Yeah, in fact, all of the stage right now looks, um, it looks, well, crazy. It looks like a big promotional for the book itself. And how much you want to bet the expectation is, is that, hey, you know, we're going to be teaching this in our small groups. Do you think they're going to be teaching Fifty Shades of of They, Fifty Shades of They during the small group time? Maybe, right? People are there expected to probably buy it. I mean, if they want to be able to track with what the pastor's preaching, you better get your copy. I wonder if copies of the book Fifty Shades of They are for sale in the foyer or the uh, church's bookstore with huge stacks and maybe a big, you know, full-on display. That would worry me. That I mean, that's using the church to make money huh. for yourself in a way that, you know, it's kind of like a business merchandising kind of thing. You don't just drift into relationships. You, you're not just sucked into the vortex of some connection with another person. We should choose our friends. We should choose the they in our lives wisely. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs specifically chapter 27, verse 19. It's one of my favorite verses about the they in your life. Proverbs 27, 19. All right, hang on a second. Let's take a look at it without him. Proverbs 27, and let's head over to verse 19. Here it is. Okay. As in water face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. Okay. Well, how is that talking about the they's in our life? Okay, let's see what he does with it. A mirror reflects a man's face. And as I look out here at this vast audience, I, I think that most of you looked in a mirror this morning. You, you look really good. And a mirror shows us physically what we look like, correct? But if you really want to know what you're like, the Bible says, but what he is really like, what she is really like is shown by the kind of friends that we, let's say it together, choose. What translation are you reading from? Okay. Um, So, as in water, face reflects face, so the heart of a man reflects the man. Okay, that's the ESV. Let's take a look at the NASB. Hold on a second here. Um, As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of a man reflects man. That's the NASB. How about the NIV? Um, verse 19, as water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. Okay. Uh, <laughs> kind of at a loss here. Um, hang on a second. I, King, uh, King James version. I mean, what am I supposed, where am I supposed to find this? Hey, let's see what the King James says. Okay. As in water face answereth to face. So the heart of a man to man. Yeah, um, I don't know where he's getting this Proverbs 19. Hang on a second here. I'm going to go to Bible Gateway um, because I do not own, thankfully, I do not own a copy of the message paraphrase. So maybe he's preaching from the message. Hang on a second. Proverbs 27. And let's take a look. um, Proverbs 27. And I wanted the message. Hang on a second. Let's see if that's what's going on here. Proverbs 27. 
19. Just as water mirrors your face, so your face mirrors your heart. It's, it's not even in the message paraphrase. Where did he get this version of Proverbs 27, 19? It's not there. Not even the message does this to it. Uh, <clears throat> but what he is really like is shown by the kinds of friends he chooses. Proverbs 27, 19. That's not what Proverbs 27, 19 says. Where is he getting this? I have an opportunity to choose friends. God obviously is sovereign. Within his sovereignty, though, he's given us a freedom of choice. God has chosen you and me. He's picked us for his team, so to speak. If we have this relationship with God, the Bible says that we are friends with God. Now, we have sort of decaffeinated the word friend, and I think social media... Decaffeinated the word friend. What does a caffeinated definition of the word friend sound like? I don't even know what he... I'm not tracking with this guy, and he just pulled a verse out of thin air that doesn't exist. It isn't in the Hebrew... I mean, what he's saying doesn't make any sense at all. Done that. You know, we have a certain amount of friends or we have followers, you know, and, and really, are they really our friends that we defriend or unfriend someone or, or we, we, we don't follow someone anymore? And then how many likes did I get on that post or whatever it is? So we've, we've sort of decaffeinated a friend. A friend, though, what I'm talking about when I deal with that is the is the they in your life a friend is a foundational relationship in everyone's natural domain it's a foundational or you could say a forceful relationship in everyone's natural domain we have friends everyone has friends in fact we are made to relate to others there's this God gap in your life and mine. God can only fill it. There's a God gap in my life? What? We yearn for him. And this gap is shaped in a cross. And we allow Jesus to take control of our lives. He comes in and, and we have this vertical relationship with God. Also, we yearn to relate with one another. So even as a little one. We want to relate. We want to connect with others. We connect with our parents. We connect with others. And it sort of just happens naturally. What I want to get you to think about is, I want you... By the way, I've checked other translations, New Living Translation. I've checked a whole bunch of other translations. I cannot find a biblical translation that says, you know, choose about choosing your friends from Proverbs twenty-seven nineteen. This is weird. I mean, he literally just made up a biblical text. Think about your friends. I want you to think about the they in your life. Because if you think about a swimming pool, there's a shallow end and a deep end. Most of the people spend most of their time in the shallows. We just kind of stand around the shallows. And relationally, that's so true as well. We... We think that, oh yeah, I have all these real friends and, and this is the way friendship and, and, and the day should be. But I'm going to challenge you in this series to swim away. That's right. To swim away from the wrong day and swim to the depths with the right day.
Well, now, I'm going to pause him right there. I, I'm going to build off of this metaphor of his. You know, I think churches like Fellowship Church are like kiddie pools. They're like the shallow end. And um, if if you were to just use the metaphor here, clearly Ed Young, as somebody who just literally pulled a Bible verse out of thin air that doesn't exist, he would qualify as one of the they's in my life that I wouldn't really want to have too much influ- have well, let him have too much influence over me. And since Fellowship Church is not a church that rightly handles God's word and is an entertainment-based enterprise uh, all about uh, entertaining uh, non-Christians, all that's supposedly how you show them that you love them rather than tell them that Jesus bled and died for them. Um, I would consider Ed Young to be one of the they's in my life that um, because things are so shallow there at Fellowship Church, I would want to swim away. So, I, I yeah, I, I think this is a good analogy but I think we need to flip it and use it in regards to him. But I digress. We continue. Questions like, who are they? That's a, that's a great question. Think about the people in your life. Who are they? Who are the they in your life? Those, them, just a few. Who are the they? Also think about what are they doing? I mean, what, what does they really do? What are they about? What, what, what do they do? What what makes them click? And then where are they going? Where are they are they taking life? Where are they leading you? Because if you run with the crowd, the crowd will run you. So I can look at the they in your life, you can look at the they in my life, and we can predict each other's future. It's crazy. Show me your friends. Yeah, you've heard it before. I'll show you your future. But I would say, show me your friends, and I'll show you your past, your present, and your future. That means I could sit down, you could sit down, and we could predict. Just to kind of give the score here, we are seven minutes, ten seconds into the sermon. Technically, he has not actually taught us a biblical text, because the text he said that he just loved doesn't actually exist in the form that he delivered it. So... We haven't actually received a biblical text yet, and tracking with his thoughts here, it, it's not easy. I mean, I'm literally like, if I were to try to diagram this, I don't, I don't think I could. With amazing accuracy, where we're going to be for the rest of our lives just by meeting our friends. Who are the they in your life? Who are the they in your life? Who were those foundational relationships who were in your natural domain? The right they are always there. Isn't that great to know? God always places the right they in our lives. Yet, the wrong they can keep us from the right they. The- Where does it say that God always places the right they in our life? I would like to actually see a biblical text that says that. You know, here you're kind of making some kind of a promise that I don't even think is in the Bible. They, I'll make it rhyme, can get in the way of us seeing and choosing the right they. Parents, listen to me very carefully. You have a monstrous mantle. I have a monstrous mantle to bear when it comes to relationships. Because not only do I have relationships, not only am I tasked with choosing the right day, the little ones, and as they grow and become bigger ones, they are going to choose the same kind of they that 
I choose. So, hey, kids, you can look at your parents' friends right now, and I'll bet you cash money your friends look like their friends. Who are the they in your life? What are the they doing? Where are they taking you? Here's, here's a relationship grid that I, that I try to use. Affiliation. Affiliation. Who do you hang out with? Who's your squad, you know? Who is in your clique? Who do you associate with? Who's your... I don't have a squad. Affiliation. Think about that for a second. Who is that? 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 Okay, because your affiliation will always tell you what you're participating in. So you've got affiliation, you've got participation. What are you participating in? What are you doing? You're going to be doing... Canasta? I mean, what are you talking about? I mean, when my friends and I get together, we, I don't know, we, we talk, we, we laugh, we tell jokes. I mean, I, I'm not getting this. They are doing in your life. And then you're always going to a certain destination. Where are you going? Are you going to just stay in the shallows or are you going deep? And so often we think we're deep in the shallows, but in reality, we're shallow. God, though, wants us to go deep. Deep in what? When it references they, what are you talking about? About various people in the Bible. It's so so interesting to see the the, the right they and the wrong they in Scripture. You remember this guy, Solomon? Yep, I remember Solomon. Arguably one of the most intelligent people who ever walked on planet Earth. I think we could make a case for him being the wealthiest person to ever walk on planet Earth. He, he lived for God, but God told him, hey, Solomon, listen to me, man. Don't go solo. Do what I tell you to do. I want you relationally to have the right they in your life. Read his story in the book of Ecclesiastes. Where did God tell Solomon not to go solo and to choose the right they in his life? I mean, this doesn't even remotely sound like an accurate summary of anything that really happened in Solomon's life. Although, clearly, he's trying to make an allusion to the fact that Solomon had all of these wives. I mean, that's kind of the big thing. I mean, who was the they in Solomon's uh, life? Well, the they was foreign women who worshipped false gods. And you know what Solomon did for them? He let them build places of worship for their false deities. Yeah, they became a snare, a big-time snare. They were idolaters, and you're not supposed to be married to somebody who is an unbeliever. Other areas of the Old Testament, he said, you know, God, I'm, I'm smart. People are coming from all over the world to hear me wax eloquently about different subjects. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And the Bible says that he loved foreign women and people who were not following the Lord of Lords. And and for 40 years, for four decades, he wasted his life. And at the end of his... Uh, What? Solomon wasted his life? I don't recall Scripture ever uh, describing Solomon's life as wasted. Here's what he said in the book of Ecclesiastes. He said this. He said, it's all vanity. He said, it's all chasing after the wind. He said, I wasted my time. And then he said, 
Uh, see, that's the thing is that um, when you look at Ecclesiastes, in fact, I'm just going to do a quick search here in my Bible uh, software here, and we're going to look in the Old Testament. We're going to look for the word vanity, and we're going to look at uh, the passages in the book of Ecclesiastes where vanity is mentioned. In fact, it starts off, Ecclesiastes begins with uh, vanity statements, and see if these are made in regard to the fact that Solomon feels like he wasted his life with all of his foreign women. The the words of the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Yeah, I'm in the King James. Here, hang on a second here. Vanity of vanities, said the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is a new. It, this is new. It has been already in the ages before. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things, yet to, yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek out and to search wisdom, search out wisdom. All that is done under the heaven, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. Behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know the madness and, and to know madness and folly, I perceive that this also is a striving after the wind. Yeah, when we read uh, Ecclesiastes, we're not reading um, the diary of a man who thought that, oh, you know, I wasted my life. You know, oh, I, you know, all those foreign women. I could have been doing something productive. No, that's not what this is saying at all. So you're not rightly handling the book of Ecclesiastes, nor are you rightly really addressing the core problem with Solomon's wives and the snare that they became. Remember God when you're young. That's why, yes, this, this series is for you. If you're two, 22, 52, or 72, it's for you. I really, though, wanted to make an indelible impression upon the young people because... We have an opportunity to do it God's way. And the die you're setting today, students, children, young people, the die you're casting today, the patterns you're, you're, you're cutting today relationally will carry you for the rest of your life. Learn from Solomon. You're not going to have the fame, the fortune, and the, the, the whole package that he had. He's warning you and me, hey, remember, remember God when you're young. Don't go the other way. You're going to waste your life. You go the other way, you live. I, again, this is not lucid exegetical preaching. I don't know what this is. 
stream of consciousness nonsense loosely based upon his book? Life in the fray. And too many of us right now are living and hanging out with the wrong day. Think about the emotional problems that we deal with. I would say, and I can make this broad brush statement with pretty, pretty good confidence, I would say that all of our emotional problems come back to the day in our lives. Either the right day, the wrong day, or some... Wouldn't all of our emotional problems have something to do with our sinful nature? All of these that you're, things you're describing are really, in fact, consequences of man's fall into sin. A situation. Also, I would say the emotional health in our midst can be traced back to the they in our lives. Again, let me say, who are they? Think about Solomon. He had the affiliation, the association with the wrong people. Look at his participation. Wasted his life. And look at his destination. He said, man, I was just, I was just chasing my tail. I was just swimming around and around and around in circles. Then you think on the other. Yeah, that's not really what he said. You don't really, you're not summarizing Ecclesiastes accurately at all. A really good guy in the Bible who understood the right day, his name was Daniel. Remember Daniel? Daniel was in a very ungodly place, Babylon, a long way away from home, in a place full of temptations and snares. And, and what did he do? He found the right day. Who were the right day? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember those guys, the faithful firemen? He hung out with them. And even though it cost him some stuff, even though God allowed some testing to go in his life, he hung out with the right they, because they always have something to say, right? This affiliation caused him to do the right participation, to do the things God wanted him to do. His destination, what happened to Daniel? He was one of the major leaders in this whole nation. It had nothing to do with the they's in his life unless the they is God, the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Who are they? How about your affiliation? How about your participation? How about your destination? Who are they? What are they doing? Where are they going? Where are they taking you? What kind of they do you have? Well, you know, we have different they's, don't we? Some days are, are fray days. You know any fray days? You, you have people in your life, so do I. They're kind of fray people. They're there for a season, then they're gone. They're kind of on the edge. And you might call them your friends. Maybe they follow you in some sort of a social media application. But, but, but they're not really your friends. They're just kind of there and they're gone. The fray people. And look at the life of Jesus. He had fray people, kind of hangers on. And, and, and the Bible said when sometimes Jesus would give a hard saying that many of the people were like, oh, man, that's too hard. We're not going to do it. The fray people. Also, we got some cray. Yeah, that would be a reference to John chapter 6. It's not that they said that that was too hard. They said this is a hard saying. When Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. You know, they quibbled and, and it took issue with Jesus saying that he can give him his body and blood to eat and to drink. Yeah, read the story. It, it, that's, oh, man. Not once has he accurately cited or referenced a biblical text at this point. This is a big problem. People in our lives. Anybody, anybody cray in your life? Are you kidding me? How do you know if you're dealing with a cray friend? They're not really a friend. They're just crazy. Well, you can see the, you can see the whites of their eyes when they talk to you. Does the Bible say get rid of the cray cray people in your life?
They invade your personal space. They blow up your phone. That's the crate, friends. All about drama and trauma. You know, drama doesn't just walk into your life. Have you discovered that? You either create it, invite it, or associate with it. Isn't that the truth? The cray people. And Jesus even dealt with them. We love the fray people. We love the cray people. Yet they're not the right they. And I believe the enemy puts the fray and the cray in everybody's way to keep us from the right they. I truly believe that. The, uh, what? So the devil's sending fray cray people to keep us from the right they. Uh-huh. Yeah, this isn't preaching. I don't know what this is. And so much time in the fray and with the cray that we miss the beauty and the depth that God has for us. So you got the fray people, you got the cray people, and then you got the way people, the way. I I mean, Jesus said, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. They're on the way. They're not in the way. They're showing you the way. Let me talk about self-esteem because self-esteem is inseparably linked to what I'm just talking about. If you hang out with the wrong they, you begin to compare yourself to them. And you'll never become you. You just become one of them because you're not looking to God. Never become you? What? And they're not pointing you to God. You're just looking to your right and to your left. I love social media, but social media is ESPN living. It's highlight real living. It's not real. I mean, it's, it's not a real person's real life. And there's so much comparison and envy and jealousy. And I'm not doing that. And they're doing this. And I'm here and you're there. It could jack you up if you, if you OD on that. You're like, well, I wouldn't OD on that. Are you kidding? Now our phones are like part of a table setting in a restaurant. Are you kidding? Over the Christmas holidays, I looked around and everybody in our family, including Lisa, we're just, you know, it's, 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 it's amazing. So we have, to, we, have, we have to balance that. And social media, as I said earlier, has redefined all of this. So we've got to be very, very careful what we put into our lives. The right day, though, the right day, they give us our secondary props. Our primary props come from God. A healthy self-esteem is, okay, I see myself the way God sees me. That's a healthy self-esteem. But also we're made as relational creatures. So the right day in your life and mine will point me back to God. It's not going to be jealousy. Yeah, see, that would mean that you're not the right they for these people at uh, Fellowship Church. Because you're not doing your job. Your job's to preach the word. You're not doing that. This is not actually a biblical message at all. I mean, from, you know, literally creating a verse out of the thin air that doesn't exist, um, you know, words that are just not there. They're not in the Hebrew, I mean, for sure. And none of the the good English translations say what you said that said. And, you know, from your complete misunderstanding or mischaracterization of the book of Ecclesiastes uh, to, you know, this weird allusion to John chapter 6 without really understanding it, this is not a biblical text. This is not a biblical sermon. This is not a biblical message at this point. Uh, and this is really just 
for lack of a better way of putting it, this is kind of like diarrhea of the mouth. I mean, you need to take some kaopectate or something and, you know, dry things up a little bit here because the job of a pastor is to preach the word. Again, take, you know, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Um, listen to yesterday's episode of Fighting for the Faith if you're not sure what I'm referring to here. Um, that Alistair Begg handles that uh, greatly in ta- in context and does a great job with it. Um, and we're not hearing God's word preach. God is not speaking because God is not speaking accurately. And you kind of bottlenecked God where, you know, he's supposed to be the one speaking. He's the one you're supposed to be pointing people to. You're not really doing that at all. And what you've said about God is inaccurate at best. Envy or drama or trauma or fray or cray. No, no, no. They are going to show me and show you the way. Well, who are your friends? I mean, who, who are the they? Who? Who are they? Let's be honest. One of the first jobs I ever had, I worked in a tuxedo store, a formal wear store. And so how much do you want to bet he will accurately d- depict what happened t- regarding this thing that happened in his life, this story from his life? He'll accurately tell us about that, but he hasn't accurately told us about God's word. What does that tell you about what has the be- most important priority in uh, Ed Young's mind? Is preaching God's word accurately um, and conveying the truth of God's word accurately and faithfully top of the mind? No. Uh, what's more important? Well, telling us the, the stories about him. We sold tuxes and we rented tuxes and all sorts of formal wear for men and women and kids and everything. And one of the first jobs I had at this store was to take inventory. I mean, that wore me out. Going through all of these formal wear Outfits and measuring and sizing and putting them on the right hangers and the racks and all of the stuff you do. I was taking inventory. My mind would wander. I'd be like, I wonder who wore that. I wonder what they did. I wonder where they went. And I started thinking to myself, who were they? And my mind would wander. And then my boss would go, Ed, where, where are we in the inventory? Oh, I'm sorry. Then I would you know, kind of go back to what I was doing. I want to take a friend in Tory, And I want you to take a friend in Tory with me. I want us to go through some, some, some hard questions, some Bible questions to ask and answer, to contemplate this week about the relationships in our lives. Because remember, we're relational creatures. Remember, we have no training on friendships. Our schools don't talk about it. I mean, the books we read at best are going to be from glassy-eyed gurus or the armchair experts. We, though, can read from the relational expert. I'm talking about the God of the universe because... If the Son of God needed the right day, and we're going to talk about Jesus. So Jesus is a relationship expert, better than all the other gurus. Oh, boy. It's right day. I think you need it, and I need it as well. That's a good Bible question. The right day for Jesus, this is kind of extra credit. Peter, James, and John. We'll talk about that later. So let's go through a friendatory. Six questions, and once you go through these and answer these honestly, sincerely, 
you'll know, okay, I'm hanging out with the right day or I'm hanging out with the wrong day. And if you got a wrong day problem, you got to turn and swim away from the day to the right day. And it's not always easy. It's sometimes just tumultuous. And we're going to talk about that during this series. Number one, do they motivate me, do the right day, hopefully they're the right day, to love God more? More. Do they motivate me and stimulate me to love God more? The Bible says in Hebrews... So are they Christian friends? Chapter 3, verse 13, encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. Now, does this mean that Christians cannot have friends who are non-Christians? I have to put it out there, because Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, who is it written to? It's written to Christians. And so Christians are to encourage one another. This is what Christians do. But if you're talking about you've got to swim away from the they that don't, that don't encourage you in the Lord, this begs the question, is it a sin to have a non-believer as a friend? Is that what the Bible is saying? When you think about something encouraging, don't just think about it. Say it. Is this person like negative Ned? Are they like always down? Donna drama and depressed and you're always having to lift them up and pick them up. You're with the wrong they, baby. So Donna drama and you know anybody who's got problems in their lives, well, you better dump them. Really? That's what Christ would have us do? Rather than bear one another's burdens? Huh. Seems odd to me. The wrong day. Number two, do they celebrate God's blessings in my life? Proverbs 11.10, the whole city celebrates when the godly succeed. Uh, yeah, yeah. The whole city. Proverbs 11, verse 10 is not in the context talking about friendships. The whole city. Yeah, that would be talking about how people out in the world celebrate when the godly succeed, when the righteous are the ones in charge and getting things done and they succeed. That's what this is talking about. This is not a relationship thing that, you know, that is, you know, one of the six tests to determine whether or not you got to swim away from a they. That's not what Proverbs 11.10 is about at all. There was a friend that I, that I had a while back. I had these friends. And I enjoyed hanging out with this guy for a while. But then I thought, man, this guy doesn't celebrate anything in my life. And <laughs> Man, talk about self-centered. Hey, this guy doesn't celebrate anything in my life. Yeah, my life needs to be celebrated, and the they's in my life need to celebrate it too. Otherwise, dump them. This is not a biblical view of friendship and relationships at all. When I was with him, I felt like I was on stage, sort of, and he was judging me, you know, kind of looking down on me. And then I had some good things happen to me. He didn't show me any love. He didn't say like, man, that's great, you know? Yeah, that, that's, that's a really good thing that happened to you. You did a good job there. I mean, basic stuff. 
And I thought to myself, life is too short for this. I'm going to... And I swam away from him. I was thinking as I was preparing for this message over the last several weeks, I thought, man, maybe I should text this guy. Maybe I should call this guy back. But I'm like, why? I'm doing all the initiative stuff. He's just tolerating me. So a long time ago, after this, this, this wrong day, I thought to myself, I'm going to go where I'm celebrated, not tolerated. And that's an important thing to remember. So friends complement one another. Maybe the reason why your friends aren't celebrating things in your life is because you're sinning and you need to repent. And what you're doing needs to be called you know, out on the carpet and you need to be called to change. I mean, yeah, you don't want to celebrate somebody in their sin. This is a weird view of relationships. I mean, it is totally self-focused and narcissistic. And he has not yet rightly handled a single biblical text. Haters are sad over your successes or they're a fan of your failures. The right they, they're like, man, you don't work half as hard as I do and you made all that money, good for you. Man, you did such a great job at that. I mean, I could easily be envious over Derek or Hope or John Adams. They have so much talent. Man, why can they sing? Why can they dance? I can't do I mean, hey, good for you. Man, that's awesome. That's amazing because God's favor is not fair. We're all uniquely gifted. And the right day is going to applaud you. They're going to cheer you on and point you to God. Number three. So you can't have a friend who's, an, uh, a, well, a discerning Christian. Nope, can't have those. You can't have friends that are non-Christians. Nope, can't have those. So basically, you just need shallow people who will stay on the surface, and no matter what's going on in your life, they'll say, good for you. Th- th- that's not Christian friendship at all. I don't know what this is, but it's really depressing. We continue. Got your back. Do they have your back and my back? Proverbs seventeen seventeen: a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. Your real friends are people who are in your corner when everyone else is bolted. Now, this is not a bad way of viewing this verse. And, you know, this, in fact, I would say this is probably the first time he's handled a text properly. Um, the idea is, is that your friends are there with you through thick and thin. And, uh, and that's kind of the true metal as to whether or not somebody's a friend. But when, you know, Keep in mind also, though, a friend will tell you the truth about yourself, you know, when, even when the truth is, you know, is ugly. And I think he's going to get to that, though. But at this point, okay. But the details here matter because it sounds to me like, um, as we listen to this, Ed Young, he, he kind of censors or eliminates those whom, uh, who give him, you know, sharp criticism. And even if it's godly and biblical, but let, let's let him lay this out. What you have to do is go through a time of betrayal, a time of difficulty, a time where things aren't going that well, a time where it's a bear market, and see 
who is with you. I remember David. Remember David, you know. Yeah, see, here's the thing is it, it sounds to me like what he's trying to create is some kind of almost like blind loyalty. That's how I'm hearing him. But then again, I've I've listened to him far too many years to to uh, to give him the benefit of the doubt on this. I've seen what he's done to people and heard. Man, a man after God's own heart. David was on the run away from Psycho Saul, and we'll talk about his friendship with Jonathan, which was absolutely epic. The the mighty men, David's mighty men. Were, were, were coming around him. And, and David asked them one question. I thought this was fascinating. He didn't say, how deep are you spiritually? He didn't say, how many hours are you spending in prayer a week? He didn't ask those questions. He didn't ask those. I'm like, David, do you want know to ask the guys? Are you with me? Are you with me? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is starting to get a little bit weird for me. The right they are with you. Number four, another question. Do they hold me, that's right, do they hold me accountable out of love and friendship? Now, notice it's not do they hold me accountable. Uh, no, it's out of love and friendship. So there's a kind of a qualifier here. You can't hold me, help hold me accountable unless you do it a particular way. And if I don't like the way you're doing it, you know, maybe... Prophet Nathan style, you're the man, or you know, it's, or you know, or being rebuked, or you know, well, that you know, you can't accept accountability on that that way. No, 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 no. Yeah, this is starting to sound a little bit like there's messaging here designed to make make you unquestioningly loyal to Ed Young, and if uh, if you have uh, issues with him and you don't approach it the way they have laid it out, well, they're not going to accept your criticism no matter how valid. This is a major, 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 major question to ask and answer. Accountability, though, emerges out of affinity. You don't just walk up and say, man, you're messed up, and there's sin in your life, and, 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 and man, that, that, that's not accountability. It emerges out of love. Jesus said, yeah, how, how is it that you automatically, a priori, say that somebody who says, dude, there is sin in your life, that somehow that isn't motivated by love? If, if the person didn't love you, they, would not, they wouldn't care that there's sin in your life. If they weren't concerned for your soul and your well-being and your eternity, they wouldn't tell you there's sin in your life. Yeah, that sounds like love to me. Why are you discounting it and throwing it away? The truth in love. You have to earn that right. And I encourage... Mm, see, there's a problem right there. You've got to earn the right to say Ed Young is in sin? Really? Wow. If, if you're in sin, you know, then you've earned the right to be told that you are in sin with your right they to have a personal board of directors i've had a personal board of directors in my life for several so you need a personal board of directors now really decades now that's why i feel you know which it sounds like the way you've chosen them based upon this list they're all pretty much yes men and sycophants authority to be able to talk about this to come alongside you and go okay here's what god has taught me i want to give you the 411 on 
scripture. This stuff works. I've not done it perfectly, but I've done it God's way. I've pastored here for 25 years, and Lisa and I have amazing friends, amazing days that, that God has deposited into our lives. Yes, over the years, we've had to swim away from some. I understand all that, and we're going to talk about that. But God's way works. When it comes to relationships, God's way works. And people have to love you enough. Yeah, but see, the thing is, you haven't really explained God's way in regards to relationships. You've taken a bunch of verses out of context. Most of them you've wrongly handled. um, And you haven't properly taught God's word. This is just a bunch of of out-of-context stuff strung together. And what's the thing that's holding it all together? Your book. Tell you. The truth, wounds from a friend, Proverbs 27, 6 says, can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Sound effects mine. Again, let's go back to David. David totally messed up. He was in the deep weeds. And and somebody on his personal board of directors, Nathan, looked at him and said, David, you're messing up. Well, yeah, and it's God sent the prophet Nathan. David received it. Okay, okay. Because he knew that Nathan had his best interests in mind. Do you have a personal board of directors? Maybe you need to go home. Am I sinning if I don't have a personal board of directors? How often do I need to have board of directors meetings then? Do we have to take notes? You know, meeting minutes and, you know, do do we run the board of directors meetings uh, using Robert's rules of order? Does somebody make a motion, say, I make a motion that Roseboro do this, that, and the other thing. And and then we have discussion. And do I not get to vote because, you know, I, I, you know, there's a conflict of interest? What are you talking about? About firing some of your friends. Maybe you need to do a friendatory. I don't know. Here's another one. Number five, do they live what they believe? Psalm 119.63, I'm a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. Do they, do, they, do they live it out? I mean, do they live it out? If you meet someone and you're wondering, wow, are they a follower of Christ? I'm not sure that's the wrong thing. If you meet someone... And they're not actively involved in a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church. They're not going to be the right day. I can tell you that right now. Well, for sure, if we're talking about, you know, you know, a romantic relationship that could turn into a marriage, yes, that's true. Do I only have Christians as friends? <laughs> I mean, wow. This is bizarre. Growing up, I was involved in athletics and I was involved in going to public schools. And, and, and I remember even as a young guy, third, fourth, fifth grade, making relational choices based on what I was learning at church, based on the authority of my parents, and based on what God, what the Holy Spirit was teaching me even as a little guy. Do you realize right now, moms and dads, 
Our children's churches are being taught how to choose the right they. We've written our own curriculum for the right they. So all the kids uh, at the, uh, you know, child care at Fellowship Church, they've gotten the Fifty Shades of They curriculum. Oh, boy. You're not going to find this anywhere else. It's not going to happen on the soccer field or at club cheer. It's not going to happen in a history class. It's not going to happen on some college campus. You don't just drift into it. We've got to think about it. So, so we've got to ask ourselves, do they live what they believe? Are they serving? Are they generous? Are they praying for those who are outside the family of God? Moms and dads, we monitor our kids' relationships and friendships. We better look at our own because remember, we're looking at a mirror. This is some heavy stuff. There's someone here that's a member of the right they for you. You begin to get involved and you serve. You look to the right, look to the left. God will show you who they are. And I'm not saying that everybody here is the right they, but you're going to find them here. They're here. Number six, do they have the right they in their lives? Whoa. Look at their track record. How do they spell relational relief? 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Whoa, is that profiling? Some liberal... Uh, Yeah, that's... Let's take a look at the context. Let's take a look at the context. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. You'll notice every verse out of context. We're not getting any text properly taught with multiple verses, nor are we getting a real narrative taught to us. Nothing. It's just this verse, that verse, this verse, that verse, out of context, hung together as if they all go together, but they don't necessarily go together. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Let's look at this and see what's going on. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, the question then comes up is, what does it mean to be unequally yoked with unbelievers? Does this mean that you can't work at a business where there are unbelievers present? I mean, you're yoked up with unbelievers, and here it says, come out from their midst. Is this referring to friendships? You know, oh, you can't be a friend of an unbeliever. Nope, you you got to just distance yourself from pagans. Doesn't matter that they're not going to be able to hear the gospel at all. Is that what this is saying? Huh. Yeah, 
notice it uses the word partnership. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Yeah, so we're talking about partnering with unbelievers in such a way that we're partnering with idolatry. We're partnering with false doctrine. We're partnering with a false system, right? I mean, that's kind of what's going on here. I've heard this being applied in marriage, and there are other passages that expressly state that we're not to marry unbelievers. But this is not some blanket prohibition that says, oh, yeah, you're sinning. If you are, if you even call an unbeliever your friend, you're sinning. If you work at a secular business and there's, you know, you're yoked up with unbelievers, you're sinning. You got, you got to go find a company that's owned only by Christians and only Christians are employed. Yeah, we got to be really careful here because, you know, what he's basically doing is it, it sounds like in a real way he's cutting people off from godly critics, discerning Christians who would speak up, um, you know, turning basically turning Fellowship Church into this insular thing. This is, this is troublesome. We'll call that profiling. What? For what do, wicked, what, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What do fellowship, uh, what fellowship can light have with darkness? What's, what's going on here? Our best friends, the right day, we have to be equally yoked. I'm not talking about an egg. I'm not talking about egg whites here. No, no. We're, we're talking about a yoke. A yoke is a piece of farm equipment where you would hook up animals of the same kind and of the same strength. They would plow straight lines. God wants us to walk in unison, to have the right affiliation, participation, and destination. He wants us to go on a straight line. And it happens when we're equally yoked. So, 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 yeah, are you, are you equally yoked? Again. Now, I want to make this clear. I mean, there, there may be people in your life who are not, who are unbelievers who because of the dynamics of the relationship they would uh, they would lead you astray that's going to be a problematic relationship where they're going to be you know tempting you to sin and things like that again i'm not sure if that's what second corinthians 6 is referring to it's talking about fellowship and partnership at what point are you in fellowship with an unbeliever at what point are you in a partnership with unrighteousness and idolatry in order to understand that text, you have to consider what is it prohibiting and what is it not prohibiting. Did they influence you to do that you would not have done if they hadn't been around? I wrote this book, not Fifty Shades of Grey, Fifty Shades of Day. I wrote this book. Yeah. yeah, so we're talking about your book. So we haven't heard any biblical text in context. All out of context, and at this point, we've got—I've got more questions than I have answers. Um, yeah, and I—I'm I, not somebody who is unfamiliar with the Bible at all. Yeah, and we—this is not a coherent teaching. This is not a coherent biblical teaching on friendship at all. We—we we got a big problem. We got a huge, huge problem at, at this point, and um, there's not much left to the sermon. But the issue is, is that this is all law at, you know, as well. 
you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta. So, I mean, my question now is, is that, well, if I have an unbelieving friend, you know, have I sinned? And if I've sinned, um, you know, did Christ bleed and die for those? Can you tell me something about what Jesus has done? Um, if I don't have a personal friendship board of directors, if I haven't taken a friend inventory, am I sinning? Because the guy, when he's preaching, is supposedly preaching with the authority of God behind him. This is a message that God wants us to hear, right? Well, if I've run afoul of these principles, well, then I've sinned, right? Do you have any good news for those who have, you know, bad friends that they shouldn't be having that God would forbid them to have? And I'm still very vague as to uh, who I can have as a friend and not have as a friend based on what I've heard Ed Young do here. But we haven't heard anything about what Christ has done for us at all. All out of context verses, all law, just and no gospel at all. And, you know, if somebody's run afoul of this, remember God's law accuses us, shows us that we haven't lived up. So he's preaching all law, which so God's law is screaming at us. You haven't done this. So there's probably people feeling convicted listening to this. Are you going to comfort them with the gospel? Will you even get to the gospel? Well, let's find out. Because of something that unfolded in my life when I was a sophomore in high school. I I played basketball with... Another story from Ed Young's life. A guy for, for many years, great, great athlete. His name was Larry. And... I noticed that that Larry began to associate with the wrong group of people, wrong clique, wrong squad, whatever you want to say. And and I invited him over to my house and talked to him some. And I just knew he was messing around with the wrong people and and, and, uh, saw him a lot. But even in high school, I, I had friends, fray friends that were in high school. My real friends, though, were always from church. And, and I'll say it again. The church is the only place to meet the right day. I mean, it is. It is. You might stumble over one now and then somewhere else, but it's going to be in the church 99.9% of the time. Well, Larry started messing around with stuff. He got involved in stealing some things, and, and, and you know, he served a little bit of time away, yet he always came back and we forgave him and on and on and on. And then I moved out of state for years, you know, didn't hear from him. I asked around about him, nothing about Larry. When I was a newlywed, the phone rang one night and I picked it up and my friend said, Ed, have you heard about Larry? I said, no, I have not heard from him in years. He said, well, are you sitting down? I said, do I need to? He goes, yeah. He said, Ed, Larry has murdered somebody, and he is in the state penitentiary. I said, you've got to be kidding, Larry? Guy that came from that great family and had so much going for him and, you know, had everything. Well, the next time I visited the town where I grew up, I made an appointment with Larry. I walked into the state penitentiary, went through door after door. Finally, I got to the prison yard, and I was sitting on a picnic table, and I saw Larry walk up to me, 
tears streaming down his face. I said, Larry, what happened? What happened? And he said four words that I'll never forget. I had these friends. If I yeah, as a pastor, if I were visiting somebody in prison and I asked them what happened and the first thing they said is, I had these friends, wasn't that what Adam said about Eve? The woman that you gave me, Lord, she deceived me and had me eat, right? It was, the, yeah. So the guy is not even owning his own sin. Yeah. I'm sure his friends were a horrible influence on him. Bad company corrupts good character, remember. But who's the one who pulled the trigger and murdered that person? Uh. How many times I've heard that phrase. Whenever I come alongside someone, whenever there's some sort of a trauma or someone has ended up in the deep weeds. Hey, what happened? I had these friends. Let's move from I had these friends to I have these friends. What do you say? Would you join me over the next several sessions as we discover what our great God has for us regarding the right day. Let's bow for prayer. Yeah, done. Allah, no gospel. The vast majority of all of the verses that he quoted were out of context, and most of them were wrongly handled. Even the ones he somewhat referenced, he didn't reference them correctly. And so he, at the beginning of this message, remember what he said? He, you know, he prayed that, you know, oh, Lord, I don't have words, but you have these words. These, the, the, you know, so he's basically saying all of this is from God and none of this is from him. The only accurate stories we heard were the ones regarding his own life. But the stories from the scripture were not retold accurately or faithfully. This is a huge problem. I mean, so we've got, this is like compounding problems at this point. It's, I mean, it's just salacious. It's wrong to hijack the, you know, a title of a pornographic novel as debased and debaucherous as Fifty Shades of Grey and somehow redeem it with this relationship book so-called Fifty Shades of They. I mean, just doing that with the title obviously makes people scratch their head and go, hmm, what's going on over there? Uh, this is not an appropriate way for a pastor to market a book. Next. Next. It's not appropriate for a pastor to be selling his book and preaching from his book, you know, as a sermon. This is this is just wrong. Then... The mishandling, the misquoting, I mean, making up a passage of Scripture that doesn't even exist. That, and exegeting that verse that you just made up. I mean, this, oh, man, 
and it was all law. Didn't hear about what Christ has done for us. And it's so narcissistically self-focused. Oh, he definitely went out of his way to try to meet the felt needs of the people in his audience. But his job is to preach the word and to not scratch itching ears. And instead of doing what he's supposed to do, preach the word, rightly handle it, faithfully preach it, proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins, to you know, exalt Christ. Christ must increase. Ed Young must decrease. He didn't do any of that. In fact, you know, I can definitively say that Ed Young preached longer about Ed Young than he did about Jesus. How is that pointing us to Jesus? It's not. This sermon is wrong on so many levels that it's literally unredeemable. That's the only way I can say it. It's there, there's nothing Christian about this. I'd love to get your feedback. What did you think? Love, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.